Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, thank you to our band. I'm just so grateful for Hannah and others who spend so much time preparing to lead us into the presence of God. Now, we're really excited about today, and I hope that you are too. We have been uh, looking forward to this day for the whole month of January. Um, What a great way, actually, it's been to start our new year. How many of you have really enjoyed, whether you're online in the room, starting your new year off learning how to pray and better learning how to communicate with God? I've just so appreciated the intentionality about starting my year uh, connecting with God. Now, if you haven't had a chance, you're going to want to grab one of those prayer cards that Pastor Keith gave to us at the beginning of this series. It's such a practical way that you can lead yourself through prayer and start to put it into practice in your life. And so if you want to grab one of those, if you didn't get one online, there's going to be a link. You can download it. In the room, you're going to be able to grab one at the end of this gathering. And then last week, Pastor Jonathan, you did such a great job of just helping us understand what it means to pray together as a community. He called it Together Prayer. And so today we're going to end our series. It's the final week of our series. We're going to be talking about, actually, how we can pray for other people. The truth is that you and I were built to need community. God created us to need other people. But did you know that God designed his followers to actually be the community that the world would need. So we're going to be looking up at that, and to help us do that, we're going to take a look at a story that involved five friends. Now, this story takes place in a place called Capernaum, which is a significant place. Now, only 1,500 people would usually call this place home, but it was on a major trading route between Damascus and Egypt. And so lots of people would travel through on a daily basis as they went to and from work. You can kind of think of it like Union Station. Lots of people coming, lots of people going, lots of things happening in Capernaum. Now, the other thing that made it kind of famous was that this became Jesus's home base during his ministry years. Jesus chose to live in the city of Capernaum. And so that's where his home base was. But Jesus actually, he would go out on many different road trips. And on his road trips, he would go out into different towns and cities, and he would teach in those towns and cities. And today's story actually starts when he is returning home from one of those road trips. Now, this has been a special road trip, though, because there's reports coming back to Capernaum that on this particular road trip, Jesus has been doing some incredible things in the towns and cities that he has been visiting them, visiting. Now, people, they actually call these things miracles uh, because Jesus has been healing people as he's been going into these towns, healing them of incurable diseases. And so the community is abuzz with all this information and these reports on what Jesus has been doing. I can imagine some of the conversations going on in the market. They probably went something like this. You're kind of buying your oranges, your apples, I don't know, whatever they bought at those days. And someone says, you know what, have you heard about Jesus? I hear he was in Galilee the other day performing a miracle. Someone jumps into the conversation and says, well, I heard that Jesus reached out 
and touched, yes, physically touched, a man with leprosy, and the man was healed in that very minute. Someone else jumps into the conversation and says, well, I've got some information that Jesus is actually coming back to Capernaum, and he is going to be holding some sort of gathering. I wonder if he's going to keep performing miracles when he gets here. And so by the time that Jesus arrives back home, the entire community of Capernaum was talking about Jesus, talking about his miracles. And while everyone, most people are very excited, there are some who are not. You see, these reports have reached the critical ears of the religious leaders, those very important guys who are in charge of all the religious things. And they are not amazed. They are not thrilled by the news of what's happening with Jesus. Because even before this, they're already growing tired of Jesus and his teachings. And these reports of all these miracles is only adding to what they believe is chaos surrounding Jesus. And so these rumblings start to spread that there's going to be this gathering at Peter's house the week that Jesus returns, and Jesus is going to be there, and he's going to be teaching. So to recap, the city is electrified. Everybody is talking about it. Jesus' followers, the people who love him, probably can't wait because they want to be near him. They want to hear his teachings. They want to continue to learn. We can imagine that the residents of Capernaum, maybe not his followers, but people who live in Capernaum, they're probably buzzing from all of those stories. They're excited. I'm sure they're desperate to witness a miracle with their own eyes. And then we have these religious leaders, and they are on high alert. They're ready to shut everything down, to stop the chaos that Jesus is introducing to their well-ordered religious systems. And so for one reason or another, everyone wants to get in the same room as Jesus because these people are ready for a show. The Bible says this. The story is actually both in Mark and Luke, so we're going to read some of those passages to help us understand what's going on. The Bible says this. When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And then in Luke it says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those are those religious leaders, important people, were sitting there, They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Interesting. They hadn't just come from Capernaum. They were coming from all the places that Jesus had just been. So they're not thrilled either. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. This is so important, and I wish we had time to go into it. If you have time on your own, you want to study that. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. That was because before this, Jesus had been spending time with his Father in prayer. So the stage is set. The house that Jesus is in is packed. People are spilling out into the streets. This gathering is probably the hottest ticket in town, and everyone is ready for a showdown. The people want to see a miracle on display. Those religious leaders, they want to shut Jesus down in front of everybody once and for all. They want to put a stop to all the chaos that's going on. And while everybody in the city, they want to be in the same room as Jesus, There is one man in Capernaum who desperately needs to be in the same room as Jesus. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this individual. We're actually never given his name. The Bible doesn't say it. The Bible just calls him the paralyzed man and that he's unable to use his legs. 
And because this took place over 2,000 years ago, he would not have had any access to any medical supports that would have allowed him to live an independent life. And so we can assume, with a bit of certainty, that he would have had difficulties in his life, like all of us do. But Jesus is in town. And if anyone needs a miracle, this man does. But he has a difficult reality, doesn't he? Because an impossible journey stands in the way from him getting to where the miracle is that he so desperately needs. But here's the good part of the story. This guy has four friends, very special friends. And this crew of his friends, they've also heard about the reports of Jesus' miracles, and they quickly realize that Jesus is the answer to their friend's predicament. And so they come up, they hatch up a plan to bring their friend to Jesus. I imagine the scene goes something like this. They arrive at the house of their paralyzed friend. They knock on the door, they go in, they announce, let's go, get ready, we're bringing you to see Jesus today. And their friend who cannot use his legs might have laughed at them, maybe responded, well, I can't walk, and I'm not sure if you've heard, but there are thousands of people in the city trying to get to see Jesus today. It seems impossible. But those guys convinced that their friend's reality of his suffering could end today if only they can get him to Jesus, say, don't worry, just trust us. We've got a plan. And so they each reach down, the Bible says, and they pick up a corner of his bed mat. And they pick him up, and they carry him out the door, and they head into the city. Now, this would not have been an easy journey. Sometimes we can read the Bible, and it says, they picked up his bed mat, they went there, and then they dropped off, and it sounds, oh, fantastic, it was a little bit of a walk. No, this would not have been easy. The roads were very uneven in those days. The path would have been filled with winding alleyways that they had to go through the city, not to mention the impossible crowd that would have lined the streets. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd before. In my early 20s, uh, on New Year's Eve one year, me and my friends headed downtown to celebrate. Now, the streets were packed. There was excitement in the air. People were ready to ring in the new year together. If you've ever been in the middle of some sort of crowd that I'm talking about, hundreds of thousands of people, you understand the buzz that goes on in that crowd. It's electrifying, isn't it? But at 12.01 it became one of the most overwhelming moments of my life as we tried to navigate that crowd and get back home. You see, as the whole crowd was pressing in on us, me and my friends were holding on to each other, desperately trying not to get separated and trying to get home. And there were so many people that were in that crowd that actually I barely even had to move my feet. Have you ever been in a crowd like that? I hardly even had to move. They just kind of carried me all the way to the subway station. Well, I imagine that Capernaum was kind of like that on that day, a packed out crowd, thousands of people pressed together, desperate to witness a miracle for themselves. If I told you that Jesus was going to be here tonight, I'm sure this place would be packed out. He is going to be here, so that's exciting. Um, but here we have these four guys attempting to both protect their friend as they go through this crowd, but also carry him through the city and that path would have been blocked by hundreds of people attempting to do the very same thing that they were doing. And somehow, determined to get their friend to Jesus, we read that they successfully made a path and they arrived on the street where Jesus was at. But 
unable to get anywhere near that door, we read that they get up on the roof of the house that Jesus is. Imagine that for a moment. Again, we can say, oh, they walked up to the roof. I'm sure it was a much more difficult journey than that, carrying somebody up onto a roof so that they can get near Jesus. But this is what the Bible says that they do. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof. Keep in mind, this is not their house. They dug a hole through the roof, taking off some tiles. My husband works in construction. You can't just take off, like it's not like, oh, pop a little tile, jump in. Like this is some work that they have to do. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I want you to imagine (laughs) this moment for a second. The energy is probably really high in the room. People are excited, but we know that the tension is probably high too. We read that the religious leaders are sitting down watching him. Because amidst the anticipation of a show that's going to happen, those religious leaders have come from all over, and they're waiting for the right moment to shut this whole thing down and condemn Jesus. You know, it may not have been the best moment to drop somebody in the middle of a room, but that's exactly what happens. And as inconvenient as it probably was, this turn of events, it does seem like the perfect opportunity for Jesus to perform a miracle, doesn't it? A man is literally dropped in front of him waiting for a miracle. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't deliver what they're wanting. Jesus instead chooses another approach. This is what happens. The Bible says that seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, so seeing the friend's faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're a little bit confused, you probably aren't alone. I'm sure the people in the room were a bit confused as well. They must have thought, uh, forgiveness of sins? What about stand up and walk? Like, that's what you expect in that moment. We could spend an hour probably studying this passage, but we don't have that time. So I'm going to give you a little bit, a breakdown of the major things that are happening here, because it's very important for us to understand the whole context of this story. The people may have been confused, but the religious leaders were not. In fact, the Bible tells us The religious teachers of the law began thinking, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. See, they are furious because the scriptures are very, very clear that only God can forgive sins. And when Jesus declared that the man's sins were forgiven, it was also as if Jesus was saying, I am God. You see, Jesus was revealing to the crowd exactly what his purpose was and always had been. Yes, he was a great teacher. Yes, he performed astonishing miracles. But those were not the reasons that Jesus was in the room with them. The reason that Jesus was here on the earth was always to point everyone to his father. And so knowing what the religious leaders are thinking in their heads, Jesus turns to them and he says this, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? See, both of these things are impossible, unless you're God. So he continues and he says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Then the next part says, And the man jumped up, he grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. 
They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. I want you to imagine the room for a second. The report of what just happened probably started to ripple through the room. People at the front probably could see what happened, and those in the room could see, but other people in the house, they're probably depending on people letting them know what's happening in the moment. The report starts to ripple through the room, and then it ripples through the streets, and the amazed crowd would have watched as that paralyzed man walked out into the streets carrying his very own mat. I can imagine his friends are up on the roof jumping, high-fiving each other. Their long journey across the city had been worth it. See, they had laboriously carried their friend inside the house or dropped him down, but their friend had walked out of that house on his own two legs. See, these four men showed up to be the community that this, death, that this paralyzed man so desperately needed on that day. There's a beautiful passage in scripture. It's found in a letter that Paul writes to the churches of Galatia. It's this area in the Bible, and Paul writes a letter to them. And in this letter, he's talking about how the followers of Jesus are to be the community that our world needs. He's giving them examples of how the followers of Jesus, how God's community can be the community that the world needs. And he writes this in it. Carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now this past week, our washing machine broke, which is very inconvenient because our children have a tendency of wearing like 10 outfits a day. I don't know how it happens, but the, the laundry basket's empty at the beginning of the day. By the end of the day, it's completely full. I don't know if anyone else's house is like that or this is my children. Maybe someone can give me some advice, but that's how they tend to live their lives. And the, so the first few days of our washing machine breaking were bearable, but then someone needed a, a favorite pair of pants washed and it was a whole big thing. And then someone ran out of clean socks Someone ran out of underwear. And the kids' sports jerseys, they needed to be clean. And someone needed this shirt. And all of a sudden, kids in the morning were like, oh, I don't have this and I don't have that. And nobody could even go to school because there wasn't enough clean clothes. And so we soon found ourselves knee-deep in lots of problems, including laundry. Now, during that week, uh, a few of our neighbors had found out through conversation that our washing machine had broke. And a couple of them had actually come to our door, called me, texted Skip, and said, hey, you can use our machine if you want, no problem. And which I politely declined every offer that came through, thanking them and saying, no worries, we're totally fine. We're going to be fine, no big deal. And instead of taking up them up on their very generous and genuine offers, we spent several hours hand-washing clothes in our kitchen sink, which turned out not to be a fun time for me or Skip or anyone in our family, really. And then later in the week, I was talking with, well, I was actually complaining <laughs> to one of my friends on the phone and talking about how difficult my week had been. I have to teach this weekend. The washing machine doesn't work, blah, blah, just kind of, maybe it's just me, but like when I'm on the phone, I, I start to like snowball and tell them everything that's wrong. And I'm telling her how long it took me to hand wash the clothes, how nobody's grateful, going along those lines, how inconvenienced I was by the entire situation. Poor me, poor me, poor me. And she's laughing at me on the phone. And then she makes this comment and she says, you and I are so different. She goes, after a day of my washing machine being broken, I'd be knocking on my neighbor's doors, asking them to borrow theirs. And I stopped 
because little did she know that several people had already offered, and I'd just politely declined their help. Because if I'm honest with myself, I really don't like asking for help, and I certainly do not like what it feels like to receive help. But it seems that Paul is saying that it's normal to have burdens in this life, even as a follower of Jesus. It's normal to go through seasons in which we will need other people to come alongside of us and carry some of the burdens that we are holding on to. You see, it's as if we're kind of in a race, and every leg of that race brings a different season. Sometimes you might find yourself in a healthy season. On that leg of the journey, you're going to face difficulties, but you're not going to crumble. You're going to be able to identify, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you can probably still lift up your voice and pray to God and ask him to help you. In healthy seasons, you probably have some perspective to realize, God's helped me before. I've gotten through something before. God is going to be faithful in this season as well. See, when we face difficulties in a healthy season of our life, it's like we run together in a community. When we pray, we pray together, trusting that God is going to answer us. In our good seasons, what happens is we actually share burdens with each other. It's as if we're running beside each other, we're encouraging each other, you can do it, keep pressing on. The finish line is just there. You have the energy in the tank to get there. And sometimes we might run long distances with each other. We might egg each other on as we go. These are healthy seasons. We should thank God if we find ourselves in a healthy season. But there is going to be difficult seasons in life, and it's going to be much more difficult than a washing machine breaking down. There's going to be seasons where we actually struggle. Seasons where our hearts will feel broken. Seasons where we will lack what is needed to get to the finish line. Maybe lack what's needed to get to the next day or even the next hour. Seasons where that weight is too heavy and the race is just too difficult. These are the seasons in which we need people to come alongside of us. In these difficult seasons, we need other people to help carry our burdens. Now, there's beautiful ways that we can physically carry people in these difficult seasons. Making a meal, shoveling a driveway, lending a listening ear to somebody, or maybe driving someone to their medical appointments. See, God, though, has given us a beautiful way to spiritually carry people in difficult seasons, too. See, he's given us a tool that helps us carry each other to Jesus, and that's through prayer. See, prayer is an act of carrying another person to Jesus. And so today I want to give us three guidelines on how we can carry people to Jesus. The first one is this. And in this, I'm kind of, kind of pulling back the layers on my own life. This is stuff that I have learned. This is not stuff that has always come easy to me. First is this, be consistent with your commitments. I want you to raise your hands online in the room. If you've ever found yourself in a situation where someone shared with you that they're going through a difficult season. Hands up. Oh, not okay. Thank, okay. Most of us, most of us. Okay, hands up. If you've responded, I'm going to pray for you. I know I have. Okay, good majority of us. So we've heard people going through difficult seasons. We've responded. Okay, last question. Hands up if you would admit that you have forgotten to pray for someone even though you had great intentions of praying for them. I know my hand's up. See, if your hands went up, you're not alone. 
This is an area that the Holy Spirit has had to work on in my life as well, because as good as my intentions are to pray for people, my lack of follow through has been a reality at times. See, I'll pray for you is such a meaningful way to respond to somebody who is hurting. It's meant to comfort them. And when we say it, most people really do mean what they're saying. We do really mean that we want to pray for them. But life can get busy, can't it? And we tend to sometimes forget our good intentions until, hands up if this has happened, the next time you see that person. And instantly you're like, oh yes, I completely forgot about what you were going through. If you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now online in the room, I want you to know that's okay because I am too. I am uncomfortable with this. Like I said, this is an area that I, even a pastor, struggle with sometimes because we are not perfect people. So if it's an area that you might struggle with as well, I want to share with you a simple practice that I've started to put in place in my life that's really helped keep me consistent to pray for other people. It's very simple. It's very effective. When someone comes to me and shares that they're walking through a difficult season, instead of saying, I'll pray for you, I have trained myself to now say, can I pray for you? Because stopping in that moment right there to pray for them ensures that I do pray for them. And then coming out of the prayer, I try to immediately determine where in my week I can pray for them. So I don't want to just say, I'll pray for you and completely forget it. Try and pray in the moment for them, give them some strength, lend them some of my strength, and then I try and pray with them, for them during the week. Some things I do is I keep a prayer list. I literally write their name down and I just walk through the list and I pray and I lift those people up to God. One thing I do is I protect some time in my schedule. Usually for me, it works if it's on a drive to not listen to any music or if I'm going for a walk. No music, no podcasts. Just spend some time praying for the people that I love. Sometimes I'll send a message to them in the week, letting them know while I'm praying for them or if I have a bit of time, I'll actually write out a prayer. I'll write out something that I'm praying for them to help encourage them in the moment. See, this simple practice actually keeps me really accountable to my commitments. So I don't say I'm going to pray for you and then I don't follow up. And it ensures that people who I love are actually being carried to Jesus. The second one is this, know your role. Know your role. Ugh. See, when we pray for each other, we need to know what our role is. Our role is not to solve their problems. It's not to make any false promises. It's not to impress them with our beautiful scripted prayers. Our role is to carry them to who we know that they need, and that is Jesus. We do this with a, a tool that we have. It's through prayer. We help them turn their attention to Jesus so that we, with them, can witness what he's going to do in their life. Friends, let's never forget that as we pray for others, their greatest need is not their temporary circumstances that they currently find themselves in. Remember, a paralyzed man laid before Jesus, but Jesus did not address that need first. He addressed that man's need for God. And so as we pray for people around us, we must remember that their greatest need is always not their present circumstances. Each of us is in desperate need of Jesus's presence in our lives. So we remember we carry people to Jesus. He answers he provides for them in the only way that he can. And this is how we carry multiple people in a season because we're not meant to hold all the burdens on our own. We pick up somebody, we carry them to Jesus. Then we're able to pick someone else up and carry them to Jesus over and over. The reality is you don't have enough bandwidth, enough energy, big enough shoulders to carry all the burdens that your community needs. 
So we pick them up and bring them to Jesus because he can do what only he can do. The final one is this, declare truths, not outcomes. This one is very hard, especially as we journey with people that we love. See, as I pray for my friends and my family, the honest truth is that I know what I desperately want God to do in their lives. I want God to heal them. I want him to restore their marriage. I want him to provide for them. I want him to vindicate them and rescue them. But the truth is that I do not know what is best for them. I don't know what they need to become fully dependent on him. I don't know what their future holds. But my role is to love them enough to carry them to their heavenly father who loves them exponentially more than I ever could. Because he's the only one who's aware of every intricate detail of their lives. And he knows what's best. So as we pray for people, we need to be very careful that we're partnering with them in our prayers, that we're declaring truths and not outcomes. We want to build up their faith. We need to be very careful to not declare outcomes and promises that we believe or want God to do. So what does this mean practically? Well, practically it means we do not make promises on outcomes through our prayers. We leave God room, plenty of room to move in whatever way he wants to. We don't promise healing. We don't promise restoration because we are not God. We don't assume to know how God is going to answer the prayers. We just know that he will hear us and he will answer. So we declare truths instead that God has given us. We do not declare outcomes. We declare truth. This helps to stir up their faith, helps them to remember that they can trust God. Truths that I love to pray over other people are these. God loves you. He deeply cares about you. He cares about your pain. We can go to him right now and trust that he will answer us. God is with you. You're not alone. God promises to hear our cries and come to our rescue. God has good plans for your future. Plans that are filled with hope. I like to think of it this way. We declare God can, not God will. What that sounds like is we, <coughs> sorry, we pray God can heal you instead of God will heal you. We pray God can restore relationships instead of God will restore your relationship. We pray God can heal a terminal diagnosis, not God, God can heal a terminal diagnosis, not God will heal a terminal diagnosis. One great way to do that actually, and Pastor Jonathan shared these with us at the beginning of the year, is to pray scripture over people's lives. I look for scripture that I can pray over people's lives, truth that God has already declared that I can use as a prayer to pray over their lives. And if you don't have one of these, you're going to be able to grab one. There's going to be a link in the chat. You can grab one at the end in the lobby. But these are great truths to pray over people. Another way that I love to do that is to pray worship songs over people. Songs that talk about who God is, what he can do, Songs that build up my faith and are able to build up the faith of those that I love. Now, caution. It's hard, I know. Um, some worship songs are not theologically sound. I know, gasp, I know. One thing I'm very thankful for is Pastor Matt and his team are very careful to curate a list of songs that are theologically sound and line up with scripture. And if you're looking for songs that you can sing over your community, use as prayers, we have actually a list, a One Church TO list. It's on YouTube, it's on Spotify. I think they'll be able to throw the link in the chat room. You can go on our website and get it. But these are songs that you actually can pray 
over the people that you love in your community. Now, as we close, I came across a video that I want to share with you. came across it this week, actually. And in this video, you're going to see three runners. The first is this. His name is Johnny. He's in the lead. The second is Alistair, or Allie. He's Johnny's younger brother, and he's in second place. He's also the Olympic champion, so he's already won some medals himself. And then finally, there's Henry. Henry's another competitor. He's currently in third place. And in this clip, they're, going to finish, they're about to finish a very grueling triathlon, and they're nearing the end. And Johnny, who's in the lead in first place, he begins to fall. He's on the verge of collapsing when his brother, Alistair, comes around the bend from behind. And I want you to see what happens. Let's watch together. Oh, there's half a K to go, and Johnny is running out of time and is losing... He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownlee brothers arm in arm, but it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann's celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee. And they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third. But Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me, what an incredible conclusion here in Cozumel. I've never seen anything like that anywhere in world sport. What a beautiful picture that is, is what, of what it's meant to carry someone else. See, this is what we do for each other. We run the race together, we encourage each other throughout our journeys, but there will come seasons when we cannot make it on our own. We will each face seasons when we need someone to come alongside of us, pick us up and carry us where we need to be. See, the beautiful thing in life is that there will be seasons in which each of us are carriers and each of us need to be carried. Maybe you find yourself in a healthy season right now. Maybe that's a season in which you're able to carry somebody else. I'd encourage you, if that's you, if you'd say, you know what, I'm in a healthy season, you need to look around. You need to be available. You need to be present and you need to be consistent. See, when we're invited into somebody's struggles, we need to be ready to carry them right to Jesus. We need to use our, our prayers to declare who God is over their lives. And we need to place them at the feet of Jesus because it's him who can answer 
And it's him that can, he that can do what needs to be done. Tonight is that's what we're going to be doing together. See, our leadership team made up of our board, our elders, our, our staff, our pastoral team. So many people in this church have been praying towards what God is going to do this evening. All throughout this week, we've had a, a prayer time at noon every single day. And so many people have joined us to, to pray towards what God would want to do in a gathering. We're going to come and we're going to believe. We're going to declare that God can do all things. We're going to declare that he is able to do immeasurably more than what we could even imagine. And tonight we're going to practice what it means to pray for each other and to carry each other to Jesus. Because we recognize that many who are joining us find themselves in a difficult season right now. These have not been easy years that have gone by. And maybe you watched that video and you felt like that runner. Maybe there's not enough fuel in the tank to get you to where you need to go. It's difficult to admit, and you probably wish it wasn't so, but you find yourself in a season where it's even difficult to call out the name of Jesus to help you. I want you to know that you're not alone. Each of us will find ourselves in that season throughout our lifetime, and we all need others to carry us to Jesus. Sometimes it takes a brave step to say, you know what, I'm in a difficult season. I need a community. I need somebody to help carry me. And today that brave step might be to join us this evening for our healing gathering so that we can come alongside of you and do what God has asked us to do, carry you to Jesus. Friends, the truth is that we were never meant to do life on our own. God has designed each of us, me and you and you, to need community and to need him. And he's also designed us to share each other's burdens so that we can practice carrying each other to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you don't expect us to do life on our own, God. God, you don't expect us to walk through our difficult challenges and seasons, God, and just figure out a way out, Father. You provide ways out. God, you provide us a community that can surround us. I thank you for this church family, God. And so, God, we declare that you can do all things. We declare that you are a good God who loves his people and promises to bring good things into our lives. And so our hands are open, God. God, would you prepare us as we step into our communities, as we step into our day, God, as we return this evening, would you prepare us to help carry other people to Jesus? And for those of my friends who are in seasons in which life is difficult, maybe impossible, would you give them the braveness that's needed to reach out and say, I need help. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.